I'm Frederick Gerten in Malmo, Sweden. I'm the filmmaker. I'm Leilani Farha in Ottawa, Canada. I'm the advocate. So welcome to our a new episode of our Pushback Talks. Uh, I'm Frederick Gerten, the director of the film Push. And in Canada, we have my friend since three years back, Leilani Farah. That's me. That's you. And you are the global director of The Shift. I am. And you are the former UN Special Rapporteur on Adequate Housing. So Correct. one of the leading housing experts in the world. I guess so. Yes, you are. And welcome to our show. Uh, this title of this show is Why Are People So Angry? And in you know the previous show, we, we had a title, The Monster. Shall we just make a short one? Who is the monster? Well, the monster is big capital, private equity, institutional investors that have really invaded the housing landscape, gobbling up residential real estate everywhere in the global north and the global south. That's the monster. And what I understand also, many of us are also part of the monster because it's also our savings, our pensions are invested into these financial products that makes our own lives more expensive and that makes make poor people getting kicked out of their homes. Exactly. So we are actually part of the monster ourselves. Isn't that a bit problematic? In some ways, in some ways. We don't always have control over where our pension funds are being invested, though. So in that way, the monster is taking over our money. Yeah. The monster episode is already out on on all the platforms where you can find pods. Uh, so go on and listen to it. Anyway, so people are really angry. And we see that people are in the streets in Chile, in Lebanon, in Iraq, been in the streets of France. And Hong now, Kong. right now, Hong Kong. And right now, people are in the streets all over the, the United States of America and in many other cities around the world. So people are really angry. And in our film that was released last year, Push the Film, we meet... The amazing uh, professor Saskia Sassen, and she has something to say about that. Let's listen to Saskia. We're dealing with a very, it's a very particular period. The elites feel free to violate basic laws, and, uh, and then they're surprised that there is bitterness among the, uh, the working classes that have lost an incredible ground, I mean, a lot of ground in our society. So it's a tough moment. And following the money brings up a lot of very substantive reasons as to why people are so angry. They don't know exactly, they don't have the knowledge, but they know that something is not right. Following the money, Leilani, mm, what do you... So I mean, that's been, yeah, it's been a part of your job to follow the money also. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I think that's one of the things that isn't talked about as much with all of these protests around the world that have been ongoing for many, many months now, actually. And that is, at the root of this, is this issue of money. Who has it? Who doesn't? Uh, who's being excluded? Who's being included? Who are the winners? Who are the losers? Uh, and there's no doubt that the money being put into housing and the money being taken out or the, is is causing a lot of this distress around the world. Absolutely. People can't afford to live in their homes. Remember when we were filming 
shooting push and we were we went to many places we were also out in Harlem in New York and we entered into a 1700 unit building <laughs> in Harlem and it wasn't a fancy building uh, it was one of these projects basically but it was privatized and we met a guy called Derek let's let's listen to Derek from the film push the previous landlords, I think it was CNC. They, I think they did put information up to let, the, let us know that the build, the, the complex was gonna be sold. Right. But this is before Fairfield, uh, Fairfield came in. Do you know who is Fairfield? I don't know who they are. From what I'm told, Fairfield is a subsidiary of, um, is it Blackstone? Right, private They're, equity firm. Yes, exactly. They wanna raise each, each apartment, they, they rent up to like $900 each. That is by a, $900 each. By $900. And are you going to be able to pay that? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I can definitely say next year there's, there's no way. And where I'm going to go, I don't have a clue. I don't know. Mm, Derek, yes. Yeah, I remember that. was It was, I mean, the, Derek worked for a union, so he was making quite a good money. Mm-hmm. I mean, he wasn't a poor guy. No, nope. I think he said, I think he said he was making something like 70000 U.S. a year. That's a lot of money to me. Yeah, I think that's yeah. It's like more a lot than I money. make for yeah. sure. So it's <laughs> yeah. but I, and I also live in Sweden where the costs are not that crazy. Yeah, it was pretty moving. I remember it very well, to be honest. Uh, I've only ever been to Harlem a few times, so that and that was one of them. But it was pretty moving from the point of view of here's this African American guy living in Harlem, proud, you know, to be living in Harlem. And when we went deeper into that conversation with him he was saying that he was worried that he would have to leave Harlem which had huge cultural significance to him and his family and his ancestry obviously and I found that really it's a an aspect of this that we don't always think about or talk about right that the dislocation from one's community and the the rich ties we have to our culture and history through community so I found that you know he was just being literally priced out of his own community yeah and we, and that's something we talk quite a lot about in push we see people being pushed out of communities I mean we are in Kensington in London and we, in, you know in places where in you know, Notting Hill where the, the culture of that neighborhood is the culture that is created by the immigrants and, and the people there. Exactly. So it's, and, so it's, and now suddenly the market is, is gobbling in and, and kicking the people out who actually is the neighborhood. Yeah. It's kind of provoking. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, it's creating anger, obviously. Mm. The, the big financial crisis in 2008 mm. is playing a role in this. And uh, in the film, we meet uh, the Nobel Prize winner, an economist, uh, also at, at Columbia, uh, Josef Stiglitz, and and he helps us to understand a few things. So let's let's listen to to Josef Stiglitz. Around the globe, we buy these investments on behalf of our a company like Blackstone or any of the big financial enterprises were the big winners in the crisis. Uh, they were the big winners in the housing market. Uh, they were also the big winners in the equity markets. It was as if the U.S. government, rather than helping the homeowners who were losing their homes, actually sided with the banks, encouraged foreclosures to clean up the books, gave the money, 
to the hedge funds and and private equity firms, who then bought the the distressed assets to make money. So it is the way that the 2008 crisis has played an important role in increasing wealth inequality in the United States and in other countries that have been afflicted by the crisis. So wealth inequality created by the solutions of the 2008 crisis is playing a big part in why people are so angry now. Is that how we could read it? Yeah, I mean, he says it pretty clearly. I find it, um, if you start looking into what really went on in the global financial crisis, or in the States they call it the Great Recession, it's pretty uh, stark because African Americans were obviously disproportionately affected by the whole collapse of the housing market. And it's sort of like, well, why is that? And I think not enough attention has been paid to the fact that those predatory mortgages, predatory lending was really put on African-American households. So they, even where they had the same economic standing as a white household or a Hispanic household, African-American households were geared, were, were streamed toward uh, these predatory um, mortgages. And what that meant was when the crisis hit and everything collapsed, African-Americans had a harder time rebounding and recovering because of all of the um, expenses and costs associated with the predatory loans that they'd been given. So where white households started to get better and do better and and recover from the Great Recession, African-American households kept going down, down, down. So then, you know, fast forward to Blackstone doing what they did with all of these debts and creating a whole, you know, they bought them. They bought 50, I think it was something like, I don't know if you remember, Frederick, the number, 50,000 homes, their first purchase in the U.S., uh, or something like that, a huge number. Um, that was unprecedented. Well, those homes that they were purchasing, those were the homes of many African Americans. And then those homes were converted to rentals that African Americans couldn't afford after the crisis. I think it was around almost 12, 13 million Americans who lost their homes in, in the big, the Great Recession after the, you know, the 2008 crisis. That's right. And what I understand the majority of them were Afro-American or Latino communities. Yes, that's right. I so that was right. communities that were trying to to get up the ladder a little bit. That was like the most ambitious part of that community, those communities. Yes, that's right. So you have the you have the people really trying to do the right thing, working hard, putting their kids to school, doing the right things, and then boom, they're out. I, that's exactly right. And I think uh, homes were sold to people, African-Americans, others, as a way to increase your wealth and the wealth of your family over time, right, through inheritance, etc. And I know um, uh, research has shown that African-Americans had their the bulk of their equity, in other words, the bulk of their wealth was in their homes. So when they lost those homes in the global financial crisis, they were really affected and negatively affected. And I mean, I think we have to start drawing some dots between, you know, the global financial crisis, loss of home, rentals, evictions, and homelessness. I think those are the, some of the dots that need to be connected. And this, some, this is something you've been working on a lot, of course, so you know, this is trying to, this is your, yeah. th- I mean, that's your expertise. And, yeah. and that's why it's so cool to, to hang with you, even <laughs> if there is, it's only over Zoom. 
Yeah, uh, but these on the days. other hand, I hear they do evictions over Zoom now too. So Zoom is like used everywhere. Crazy, crazy. Anyway, I shouldn't. I wasn't supposed to be cynical. Uh, there is a clip from the film. We actually played it in the last episode. We could still have the smell of it when there. Uh, one of the big hotshots of Blackstone is speaking at the University of Miami. So let's listen to John Gray. So one of the uh, markets you went into was single-family homes, and I know you have a big portfolio. Was it 50,000 or Yes, 50,000. Tell us about that. So How do you uh, even find 50,000 yeah. homes to buy? You need a, a, a global financial crisis for that to occur. Um, you're sitting around in 2011. You're saying, where is there a large pool of assets uh, that are going to be sold by financial institutions um, at big discounts to underlying replacement costs. And it was pretty obvious it was single-family homes. Um, let's spend 25000 or so fixing them up, and then let's rent them out and make income-producing assets out of them, like an apartment business, but just not in one large complex. But if we do it in enough scale... Well, Blackstone is a success story. I mean, for people investing in Blackstone, they always get a return of capital. That's why the financial market loves them. Yeah. And uh, and maybe that's also a reason that that ordinary people don't love them as much because they are they are creating a lot of uh, distress wherever they they move around. And of course, all the copycats of the Blackstone model, there are many of them. We, exactly. we, we have talked about Achelius, we've talked about a lot of other companies around the world. But I, I remember still when I, when I found this clip on YouTube, uh, because it's so, it's, it's, it's a story of success. They're leaning back, they're talking about how to make money, how to invest them right. This is like economics, it's finance. Yeah. It's, and it's, I mean, in these days also, I mean, I mean, we're in the midst of a crisis. Everybody's losing job or losing money. Everybody's under stress. And the financial markets, wow. Yep. It's, it goes right. It goes fun. It's like you can make a lot of money you, if you're smart. You blah, blah, blah. Mm. No, this is happening at the same time. So it's like the, the, the economy most of us are living in has no relation to, to their economy. It's a bit weird. Well, it's a bit weird, but I mean, if we want to talk about anger, I think that's where the anger gets lodged, right between how the market is functioning and doing incredibly well, and how people are actually faring and experience, whether it's this crisis or the broader housing crisis that, that predates the pandemic, right? That's where the anger lodges, because they know their reality, they know how they're struggling working three jobs, minimum wage, running from this place to the other just to pay their rent. And then these guys are making money off of raising the rent, raising the rent, raising the rent. I mean, it's going to create anger. It's so it's kind of so obvious in a way. But that's the business model. How would they, I mean, they need to create wealth for their investors. And the investors are also our money, our pension money. So it's for us they're doing this. So you shouldn't be that angry. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's when we get into my favorite arguments, the human rights arguments. Like, sure, make money. Go and make money. Just don't do it in an area that's a human right. Make it elsewhere. When we were in New York, um, you had actually a a meeting set up with Blackstone. Mm, I did. On Fifth Avenue, their headquarters, you were supposed to go there. And just the night before, you got an e email that was canceled. But anyway, you, before that, you were actu actually preparing 
for the meeting and you met with some housing advocates, some really amazing people in New York. Let's listen to some of them here. I might want to go big picture, you know, mm -hmm. ask them what they think their obligation is as a corporate yeah. citizen to like the right to housing in the United States. We have members who, you know, his partner of 13 years passed away. Her name was on the lease. The landlord showed up the next day and said that he had to leave. You know, things right. like that, you know, and really like pushing yeah. people out of their longtime homes. Because they're, they're cash rich, they're, off, they're not a, a conventional landlord, and they're, they're completely speculating on this future that they're creating. Um, what, they, what Blackstone has created is a model where it doesn't matter that wages are stagnating and that lots of people are evicted and can't afford, because they've set up a model where they can extract the money regardless of what happens, and if it gets to the point where there's nothing left to extract, they can just move on. Yeah, they can just move on. And, and of course, that's what they're doing. I mean, we've seen Blackstone here in Sweden where they went really big and then they moved on. They sold out. We met them in, yeah. in the Czech Republic. They were really big and they sold everything. So that's how they, how they act. But I mean, the interesting thing is how they acted after the financial crisis. Because what we heard from the US, they, they bought all these 50,000 single family homes. But in Spain, they bought a lot of distressed distressed uh, debt, the yes. same on, in Ireland and in other places. So, so this is like yes. they, for them, distressed debt. Whatever is that the right expression? Yeah, it's yeah. it's something yeah. that's like for them it's so it's like going into a shop where they it's on everything is on sale. You know, it's like it's fun and your your pockets are full of money. And now yeah. let's all yeah, I can buy Spain. I can buy Ireland, you know. Yeah. And of <laughs> course, right. Blackstone is now the biggest landlord in, in Spain and biggest in, in, in Ireland. So it's, and of course, it has created a lot of stress and a lot of anger also in, in this country. So the anger is it's not only in the US, it's in many places. If you know, I'm just going to add, Frederick. I think part of this too. I th think it was really captured in that clip by those advocates in New York, where they're showing the complete disconnection between the corporate landlord who's using um, housing as a financial instrument and the people. That there is no, there's no connection, and that really is part of this huge change we've seen in housing over the years since the global financial crisis where where there i mean you know one should normally expect don't you think that you would know who your landlord is and maybe if you were running into some problem like like a global pandemic where you can't pay your rent that you might be able to kind of have a reasonable conversation with your landlord and all of that has changed now we have just these big entities these institutional financial investors and i remember what they told us now at this meeting was i mean the one example we heard here was that, that the partner died he was on the on the contract yes. <laughs> and then they yeah. get kicked out least, but we, yeah. there was also stories about the landlord calling ice to, to check if people have the right permit to oh, stay right. so they also get kicked out of the country because there is so much money to make now to be able to renovate people so they do they use every kind of dirty method absolutely oh that's actually you know what just stop there for a second because that's actually a really key point getting rid of people is necessary to the business model right getting yeah. rid of people and and this is yeah. also happening now in the midst of the of this virus crisis so there is a lot of people uh, being kicked out right now yes or threatened with it i mean this is a huge this is on the horizon. Maybe we'll do another podcast 
on that specific issue of, you know, what are we looking at in a few months time? Uh, I think we're going to have, we had a housing crisis before the pandemic for sure. And I think the pandemic was an opportunity to, to do, to solve it. I don't think that's the direction we're going. So we should, we have to keep our eye. But evictions is a big thing. I mean, in the US, more than 1 million people are, are evicted every year. Yes. And Spain has a huge eviction problem and it's resumed now. Yeah. And the majority of the evicted people in the US are also Afro-Americans and Latinos. So it's, yeah. it it's yeah. goes through that race line again, kind of in a very, in a very sad yeah. way. So no wonder people are angry, yeah. basically. Yeah. Uh, I had a little news for you, oh, yeah. because yesterday I talked to our America, the U.S. distributor of uh-huh. Push, Push the film, the, the film uh-huh. we are talking about, and that's the reason we met. Uh, and I mean, the, the, the film was supposed to be released now end of April, and you know, something came in between. <laughs> now we have a new date. The new date is September 4th, U.S. release. Great. Of course, we don't know if, I mean, but I mean, if everything goes well and the, the theaters are opening again. September fourth is the day we will be cool, very cool. Letting this out to be to be a bigger story, and also in the United States of America. Oh, I think it's so important that'll be if it can go on September fourth. That's the perfect timing because that's when we're going to start seeing the. I think we will start seeing the big private equity firms, asset management firms, pension funds really trying to move in on the distressed assets that are coming about because of mm. the pandemic. So if push can have any role in getting people ready to push back, that yeah. would be amazing. You know, we I mean, you and I have been with audiences in the US before, both in New York and in San Francisco. In San Francisco, we 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 had our premiere at this amazing Castro cinema, which is like it's so amazing. In in in, uh, in the Castro district, but when we had our coffees around the corner, it was like a fancy, really nice coffee. But remember what we saw in the streets? It was like oh, it was yeah, terrible. I mean, wall to wall, people living in homelessness, uh, people needing su- social supports, people needing ho- housing, homes. Etc. I mean, it was, and I had been to San Francisco before, you know, and I'd been to the Bay Area maybe a year and a half prior to that. And it was worse when I had gone back with you for um, this Castro screening of of Push. I mean, it was heartbreaking, heartbreaking. And I mean, we have to remember, we're in the richest country in the world, the country with the largest GDP in the world. Surely we could expect, you know, more than what we saw. It was pretty devastating um but do you remember also speaking to the to yeah the we met women. two ethiopian sisters at at the at the restaurant we were having some salad or something yeah and they were really sweet and that's i mean that's a lovely thing with america everybody talks to everybody yeah. it's really it's a lovely society in that way yes but the story they told us was like they were paying each of them three thousand six hundred dollars a month for a two-bedroom unit. Not a very fancy house, nothing flashy. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Yeah. well, and remember they said that they don't go out for dinner yeah. very often? Like, we ca- we caught them yeah. having a small yeah. meal, and they said, oh, yeah, no, we don't, we can't afford to go out very often. And they both had good jobs. One Nurse. was a... 
they were both nurses, but one was a nurse in a, in a family, very extremely rich like family. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, those are good jobs. Those are jobs where you should be able to afford your rent and go out for the odd meal and not feel nervous about that. And remember, one of them was about to get married, and she was saying that that was going to benefit her, of course, right? Because there would be two incomes. So I, I don't know where they were going to live, but still, I mean, to think that you that a woman might have to get married to be able to afford the rent, that's no, not a good thing. because then it's really hard to get divorced. <laughs> If you uh, if you yeah. have uh, have bad luck and, right. and you meet somebody who beat you up, for example, which also yeah. yeah. So I yeah. mean, it's it's uh, or people get locked into bad relations, which is absolutely. Can be awful. And you were going to the airport. I was, you know, we were not same oh, place. Yeah. And you had an Uber driver who who wanted to come and pick you up because like it was like a four thirty pickup in the morning or something like that. Yeah. And then he yeah. he offered him to sleep in the car outside your house. Yeah, because it wouldn't didn't make sense for him to drive all the way back to wherever he was living, which was of course not in you know central South, uh, San Francisco because he couldn't afford to live in central he San. Was Francisco. several hours away. Yeah, yeah, I mean crazy. So he slept in his car. So that's that's also the price that society is paying. Maybe also a reason why people are so angry. Uh, Blackstone, we mentioned them, but I mean, there's a lot of other financial actors, Goldman Sachs and so on. I actually found a place where yes. Goldman Sachs and Blackstone acted together or in the same case. It was when Alexandra yeah. Ocasio-Cortez was now running for a re-election uh-huh. and, and she was doing really fine. So in the l- late part of the race, Stephen Schwartzman, the CEO of Blackstone and one of the big guys from uh, Goldman Sachs, they they put money into a candidate that was like opposing Alexander Ocasio. So you can see these guys are really, they don't really want opposition. They are afraid of opposition. And of course, they were not really successful because AOC won with 70% in in her LA. But, but still, it's now, that, that circuit is like 50,000 votes and they still put money into that race. And you, you also have a story about uh, something called Proposition 10 in California. That was last year, was it? Or Yeah, yeah, I think it was in 20, 2018. Um, it was basically, as I understand it, I'm no expert on Prop 10, but it was basically um, legislation that would allow cities to adopt rent control legislation. So it wasn't rent control legislation itself. It only was providing the permission to cities to enact rent control. And you can imagine how important rent control is in the face of financialization, because, you know, it would it would dampen um, the ability of uh, Blackstone and, and private equities from raising rents. And of course, the minute they got wind of this, they poured mil- Blackstone, specifically Blackstone, poured millions of dollars into the anti-Prop 10 uh, lobby. And uh, in some cities, they were successful. So, I mean, obviously, you know, protecting their interests. But what I find so um, well wor- worthy of comment is these are huge financial actors, but they have huge political power. And I think in Push, Saskia really talks about that. And so does Stiglitz, actually, you know, 
the, they are political actors as much as they are financial actors. And because they have so much money, governments listen to them and often have them as advisors, etc. cetera. Uh, and so, you know, that's another thing that obviously would make people so angry. It's like, well, how do I, the little person, just renting with my three jobs or two jobs, how do I get political voice? Shouldn't I have some political currency? And I mean, what we're seeing is no, I mean, the, we have to take to the streets, apparently, to have some political power and political yeah, currency. And people are really angry. And I think that's, I mean, in yeah. some way, if you're a businessman in a society, do you really want to have people so angry? Is there, a, I mean, isn't that, it's like yeah. it's, if, <laughs> if I was that rich, I wouldn't want to have people, you know, I would like to have I want to be part of a happier society. I don't know. But maybe I'm yeah. naive and Swedish, you know, the country of Pippi Longstocking. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I always, I mean, my whole idea was of talking to Blackstone was surely I should be able to at least have a conversation with them and remind them that there are people at the end of this and that while they claim to be interested in people, the the impact they're having is really contrary to having to the well-being of um, marginalized vulnerable people you know i just thought maybe a conver a normal conversation about it might have some impact but people always say i'm naive too so i believe the advocate, it's a good thing to be naive. naive let's stay naive for god's sake let's let's make that a hashtag stay naive <laughs> stay naive yeah, well, let's yeah, go I like out that. there in the marching like street stay naive <laughs> I, I like that uh saskia sasson talks about uh the, the gaping hole in our society. Let's listen to Saskia here again. There must have been a time when somehow, you know, if you want to come to the city, you had a job in the city, you could live in the city. We have arrived at a moment when there is a gaping hole in our system. Most of our major international systems or don't take the individual so seriously. No, they don't. And in the US, one third of the households in the US are renters. And they the renters tend to have lower incomes than the homeowners. And if you don't pay the rent, you get kicked out. Yeah. And and as I said before, now evictions in the COVID mm. crisis, they start to evict people over Zoom. So right. because they don't want, you know, to be too close to people who could spread the disease. So, I mean, also the disease is now more spread in, in poorer areas. That's like a, a global uh, pattern we see right now. But mm. I wanted to remind you of a story you told me about when you visited uh, San Diego. Because it's, it's mm. something that you told me, and I, I can't really get it out of my head. You met a, a single mom with three kids mm. living in oh, a yeah. car. Yeah, so uh, I was in San Diego in particular to look at homelessness. And, I mean, this gaping hole that Saskia refers to and the the inability of systems and the way systems are structured to not look at the individual or not pay attention to the individual that's the exact opposite of the human rights approach and what human rights is all about they call them human rights because it's about humans and uh, so i was in san diego to meet some people 
and talk about their housing circumstances. I was brought to a church that was a a parking lot of a church that was being used um, by the church to allow people living in their cars to sleep in their cars overnight. Because if they were on the city streets, they would be ticketed. And if you get a lot of tickets, you could be in prison for non-payment if you can't afford to pay, which obviously they couldn't if they're homeless and living in a car. So the church had set up this system so that people could be safe overnight in their cars. Um, So I walked into this parking lot at dusk and I saw a young girl crouched over the hood of her of a car and she was writing something. So I just sort of meandered over and I looked down and she was doing her Spanish homework. And I asked if I could speak with her and she said she thought I should speak with her mom. And it turned out I spoke with the mom who was lovely, African-American single mom of three kids, two teenagers and a three-year-old. And they were, had been living in their car, a small car, for a month. And I mean, you can imagine the hell that is. And talking to her, how she had to hold it together in front of her kids as she's telling me her story, um, trying to be really strong and obviously incredibly embarrassed that that's where she was living with her children and that she couldn't provide for them more. She had been living in an apartment. She'd been receiving some social assistance and had been working. But then that program ended and there was no safety net for her. And so when the program ended, her housing ended and she Mm. lived in a car. And so one million evictions a year in the U.S., the richest country in the world, they say. And now they also say that this virus crisis, this financial crisis coming with it, is also will cause a huge wave of evictions in the U.S. Do you think that will happen? I'm deeply concerned that it will, and not just in the U.S., but definitely in the U.S. A lot of places have moratoriums on evictions, uh, but those moratoriums will be lifted. And a lot of landlords are already gearing up and writing the notices and just like keeping them in their back pocket, you know, the eviction notices. So I heard that evictions have started up in Spain again. Um, So, you know, it's... it's really horrible to think of that. Um, as I said, I think this pandemic would have been a time to prevent all of that from happening and changing our systems so that everyone would have adequate housing going forward. So people have the right to be really angry. We have the right to be really angry. And of course, that's one more hashtag that could come up. Stop evictions now. Stop evictions yeah. now. Because it's like it's kicking people out in the streets in the midst of a virus crisis. I mean, even to kick them out in the streets anytime it's like it's a bit over the top especially if if it's, if it's a thing, single mom with three kids I, I don't really get that it's like no. it's uh no and it's I mean everyone knows it's a, such an obvious violation of many human rights period governments have obligations not to violate people's human rights if you know an eviction is going to lead to homelessness which in so many cases it will yeah governments have to intervene all levels of government they have the responsibility mm. You know what, Leilani? Uh, this was our second uh, pushback talk with a filmmaker and the advocate. <laughs> that's like uh, that's how the, the little the game we are playing. Uh, did you like it? It was great. Or you're, you're totally steam, steamed up. You want to keep for yeah. One more let's hour. do another one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So oh, yeah. Okay. Let's round this one off. Okay. Uh, if people, I mean, if you want to find out more, go to pushthefilm.com. You can also go to the website of Leilani's new organization, The Shift, maketheshift.org. You can also find both me and Leilani on, on Twitter, on our names, Frederick Gert and Leilani Farah. 
and 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 talk to us and and uh, and uh, tell your friends about this podcast because it's now it's going out and you know as we don't have any money we need your help to get the message out yeah. so um, hasta la vista baby or what do you say no that's what's wrong <laughs> anyway uh, <laughs> have, have i'm not a, touching that <laughs> no we, we don't go there we don't go there anyway <laughs> we are we are angry uh but we we try to keep smiling anyway because uh, we, we believe in talking about issues understanding issues yep. and we really like to push back absolutely push back thanks frederick <laughs>